Hi there, and welcome to episode 56 of the GCSAA podcast, presented in partnership with the fine folks at Enview. I'm your host, Scott Hollister, the editor-in-chief of GCSAA's Golf Course Management Magazine, and I appreciate you joining us for this episode. A little over one year ago, Hurricane Ian made landfall along the Gulf Coast of Florida as one of the strongest hurricanes to ever impact the contiguous United States, a Category 5 storm that resulted in over 150 fatalities in the state of Florida alone. Uh, Fort Myers, Fort Myers Beach, and Sanibel Island in southwest Florida bore the brunt of Ian's wrath with the destruction sparing very few including the the area's golf industry. Just a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to visit Sanibel and spend a day with a pair of local superintendents, Roy Jones from the Dunes Golf and Tennis Club and Kyle Sweet, CGCS from the Sanctuary Golf Club, to talk about their experiences before, during, and after Ian, what life on the island has been like over the past year, and what lessons they've taken away from the experience. I can tell you firsthand that the signs of Ian's impact are still everywhere you look, a full year removed from the storm, but the island is on the comeback trail, and that includes both of these golf courses and their maintenance teams. Even if you're from a part of the country where hurricanes aren't a fact of life, I think there are plenty of takeaways about resiliency, about disaster preparedness, and about communities coming together in the face of great challenges for you in this episode. Hope you'll feel the same way after listening to these tales from the path of Hurricane Ian, as told by two superintendents who lived it, Roy Jones and Kyle Sweet. A quick reminder that in addition to the traditional audio version of the GCSAA podcast that you can find on most major podcast platforms, you can also discover video versions on GCSAA's YouTube channel and on GCSAA TV. This episode was recorded in person, so it is audio only, but the video versions uh, will feature photos and videos showing the aftermath of Hurricane Ian on Sanibel Island, so you can check those out if you're interested. And with that, it's time to go. This is episode 56 of the GCSAA podcast featuring Roy Jones and Kyle Sweet sharing their experiences with Hurricane Ian. As we uh, record this episode of the podcast, it is September 28th, uh, 2023. And uh, one year ago today, and I, I was telling some people that I was doing this and I said it was like total dumb luck. I don't know if that's lucky or not, considering the topic of conversation for today, but just complete coincidence that I happen to be in Florida and that we could set this up one year uh, ago today because we are sitting in the the clubhouse at the Dunes Golf and Tennis Club. Roy, how many has, have members had a chance to enjoy this space at all? Have you? No, we haven't actually opened to membership yet. They've been in and out, but we don't. We're not going to open fully to members until the landscaping in the front is finished. Okay, that's, that's what the owner wants us to do, and so that's what we're doing. Yeah, so we are in the clubhouse of the Dunes Golf and Tennis Club on Sanibel Island, which was I don't want to say ground zero because I know uh, we were talking earlier all up and down the coast there were impacts from Hurricane Ian 
And But I want to take this opportunity. We've told the story in the pages of GCM, and I think most listeners have probably seen stories of superintendents who were impacted both personally and professionally by the storm. But happy to be joined today by already introduced Roy Jones. Roy's the superintendent here at the Dunes, a 22-year GCSA member, and also uh, Kyle Sweet, the certified superintendent from the Sanctuary Golf Club here on the island, 32-year member. Somewhere I read you're a Florida, na- Florida master naturalist. What yeah. is that? Yeah, Scott. So Florida Master Naturalist Program is a program that's put out by University of Florida. It's a like a continuing ed program that basically studies the habitats throughout the state of Florida. Here in Florida, we have wetland communities, we have upland communities, and we have coastal communities. And at the sanctuary, I have the opportunity to do a lot of tours for people, wildlife tours, native plant tours, things like that. And the Master Naturalist program was something I was interested in. Some of the uh, people that I work with at SCCF, Ding Darling, and the city of Sanibel had participated in the program. So it's a matter of uh, sequences of, I think it are 12-week sessions, one day a week for about 12 weeks and three separate times. And I was very fortunate to be able to do that program in one year. And the club supported me to do that because of my work I do with the members and the community on tours. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a certified Florida Master Naturalist, and which basically means I have a pretty good understanding of all the ecological systems throughout the state of Florida. That's awesome. So, that's, that's a pretty unique... Uh, yeah. Um, I made sure to throw in the business card. CGCS that, is first. That's right. <laughs> then Florida Master Naturalist. Well, we, Thank you very much. We really appreciate that for, yeah. for you doing that. But Absolutely. Um, Again, I happen to be uh, in Florida on business and had an opportunity to do this. Uh, Kyle and I have been going back and forth for a little bit just to share the stories of what you guys experienced here. And I know, again, there are a lot of superintendents, a lot of GCSA members who were impacted by Ian, impacted by other storms that have been either along the Gulf Coast, along the Atlantic Coast. But I thought that this would also be instructive to superintendents all over because, because of the nature of golf It's an outdoor sport. It's subject to the whims of Mother Nature. You can be where I'm from in Kansas, and you can have a course impacted by severe weather, tornadoes, whatnot. Out west, courses affected by wildfires. So some of the things that you guys have gone through and battled as you've tried to come back from that, I think will be applicable uh, all over the country, to superintendents all over the country, even if a hurricane is not in their future. I want to start off and just introduce folks to you too. Roy, I was going to ask if you're a native Floridian, <laughs> but if anyone heard you speak earlier, I think that one's out of, we don't have to ask that question, but where'd you grow up? And what would just, what was your path like to a career in golf? So yeah, it's a weird one, Scott. So I started off, my father was in the British military traveled around Europe, lived in various parts of Europe. And so to give me a, a better education versus the, the, British Army system. Uh, I went to boarding school in Cumbria uh, in the Lake District of, of England. Really good time. Um, but when I, got, when I got to go and decide what I wanted to do in college, my initial thought was, I don't want to do college. I want to go in the Army and follow, follow my father's footsteps. So I went down 19 years of age doing basic training and kind of blew my knee out in basic training. And then I was aimless for six, eight months. My, my parents said, ah, you can't live with us unless you're working. So I went back to where I was in boarding school and hanging around with some friends and we just decided, let's go to college. So one of the local colleges was doing a course in, they called it leisure management. So it was basically leisure facility management, like big leisure centers in the UK, that kind of thing. 
two years of doing that. Once I got done, I realized I don't want to do that. That's just not my interest. So talking to the careers counselor, she's, there is a college course at the University of Lancaster at the, one of the agriculture colleges, Myasco College, dealing with sports turf. I was like, oh, sports turf, that sounds interesting. Always, I always played rugby my whole life, interested in soccer. I was like, oh, I'll go maintain a football pitch or a rugby pitch. Brilliant, good stuff. Get to the college, go through the interview process, talking to the lecturer or the senior lecturer who some guys in GCSW might know, a guy called Martin Jones. He's been around quite a bit. And he was like, this is more golf orientated than anything. The college had a little six hole golf course that we did all work on and stuff. So I was like, all right, I'll give it a shot, whatever. I've got nothing to lose right now. So I went through college. It was a three-year college course. And the second year of the course was a one-year work placement. I did my work placement right here at the Dunes back in 1994. Wow. It's a big full circle for me to come back and do this. But yeah, finished the one-year placement here, which happened to be when the Dunes last renovated, the summer of 95. So I went through that renovation with the Dunes, went back, finished college, during my time at the dune i met my future ex-wife came back to america for that this sounds like a country music song yeah it, it, it's not too far <laughs> off to be honest oh boy so when i go back to the states originally i wanted to come back and work at the dunes but the superintendent at the time says he, he told me because i've got this like boot camp kind of thing that he does all his employees have to start at the very bottom no matter if they have education or if they've got work experience. And I was just like, yeah, I don't really want to come and work for seven bucks an hour. So I'm landed a, a, an irrigation tech job at a course down in Benita at Pelican's Nest. Did that for about 18 months and then landed my first assistance job at Gulf Harbor with WCI when they did their renovation in 98, I believe it was that one. And then I made the huge mistake of chasing money, which I should have never done. I took a superintendent's position with a company I really should never have. I was out in the wilderness for 10 years working for them. When that finally broke down after the big housing crash in 08, so that led to my job being eliminated in, in, in 2011. I ended up back here as an assistant superintendent under a guy called Mitch Miller, and he got my career back on track. He let me be who I could be, and he showed me how golf maintenance can be a really good career because I was getting burnt out on it at that point. And so 12 years later, I am still here, but now I'm running the show. So That's great. Full circle. Full uh, circle, yeah. What, how is, clearly, Florida and the UK maintaining turf is a completely different game. <laughs> yeah. How, how big, <laughs> the adjustment period, was it a slap in the face, a shock to the system at first? Or? It, it wasn't too bad. Coming straight from college, and obviously I'd spent a year here at the Dunes learning warm season grasses. So there wasn't that much adjustment when I got here, especially since I, was, I didn't jump straight into a management role. I worked my way up through irrigation tech, spraying, and then on to assistant. Now, I'm trying to think about if I was going to go back the other way, because my current wife has always said, we want to go north. And I'm just like, I don't know if I want to start back on cool season again, because <laughs> it's taken me a long time to learn this one. But it, the transition wasn't too bad. I have, I've had good tutors along the way. I've, I've worked some really special people that have helped me out. And now I can lean on people like Kyle if I still don't know what, I'm, especially in the transition to Pass Balaam. Right. I mean, it's my first time really working with Pass Balaam. As a young kid, you're out there, 19, 22 years old, fear. Warm season, who cares? Cool season, who cares? I'll go wherever the work is. Right. Um, now I'd be a little bit more measured if I was asked to change. The Yes, the the wisdom of time. Yes, indeed. Indeed. 
Kyle, what's your, are you a lifelong Floridian? How did you get to Sanibel and into a career in golf? My story is probably not as interesting as uh, Roy's here, <laughs> world traveler. No, so I am actually not a true Florida native. I was born in Plattsburgh, New York. Um, we won't say what year, but it was a long time ago. The, my, my folks moved down, both my parents were school teachers, and they moved down to booming Florida in 1973. Wow. So I was a young uh, three-year-old at the time. And I do have two young, younger brothers. One was born just before they moved, and the other was born about 10 years later in the Dade City area. But so we moved down to Florida. My parents were school teachers. They, we lived in a little town, Zephyr Hills, and it was small then. Now it's almost like an extension of Tampa. It's yeah. quite big, but very seasonal. And interestingly about Zephyr Hills is it had a lot of golf courses because of the seasonality and the, re- and the uh, retirement communities. At the uh, ripe age of uh, 12 years old, I had a little municipal golf course down the street and one of my best buddies I was growing up with happened to be working there parking carts a couple nights a week for free golf. So we would go play free golf. He decided that football was in his future, so he was gonna play football. So since he was gonna play football and I wasn't, he's asked me if I wanted to do his job. <laughs> so lo and behold, I was like, sure. So I would go down a few nights a week and I would park the carts and assemble the carts together and things. And I'd go pick the range. Oftentimes with one hand out the side of the cart, grabbing them up and throw them in a barrel. <laughs> but at 12 years old, I basically worked for free golf. And then at about 16, and I did that for a few years. And at about 16, my parents were gracious enough to get me my first little car. I said, well, if I'm going to work, I got to be able to make a few bucks. So I did a construction and grow in at a golf course that my brother is currently the superintendent at called Silverado in Zephyr Hills. And I picked up rocks and sticks and followed behind the tillers and followed behind the graders and hand shoveled 37M bunker sand and (laughs) did what we did at 16. And what was interesting was how it works out. I, I had the ability to take some vacation time. They, they, the people that I was working for were fantastic there. And so I had to earn some vacation. And the GTE Suncoast Classic was in Tampa Palms. And I had the opportunity to reach out to Greg Plotner, who I owe a lot to. And I said, hey, I'm going to take a week vacation. I'd like to come work for, the tur- work for you for the tournament. You probably thought I was crazy. Yeah. But I did. So I took a week's vacation and I volunteered at the tournament. And once I really got a taste of that, at that level, and the, such a high maintenance right. level, and the PGA Tour, I'm pu- cutting putting green cups, and you got Trevino and Palmer and all these guys around you, and it, it was like, okay, I think this is what I really want to do. So I, I left the little golf course of Silverado and to work at Tampa Palms under Greg's tutor leadership. I was able to do uh, irrigation and IPM, and eventually the West Coast Golf Course Superintendents Association sent me to Lake City on a three-year scholarship. Wow. That was awesome because I was not financially able to leave home and go off to college. It was like a dream come true. So they gave me the opportunity to do that. And my first internship in Lake City, I was at Saddlebrook. Okay. And I worked for Chuck and, and Al there at Saddlebrook. My second internship, I was the first hourly employee of the Whirlwoods of Golf in okay. Brooksville and uh, yeah. Bob Wagner and Steve Ritzko I worked with there as well as Tim Seaver and, and um, 
I hate to say I've never interviewed for a job, but I've never really interviewed for a job <laughs> because I met Tim Seaver um, at Hooters in Jacksonville at FTGA Aldi. in 1992. And he said, hey, I got this gig down on Sanibel. Um, I'd known Tim. He'd been up in the Central Florida market for a number of years. And he said, I want you to come down. I want you to come down and see me. And I knew Sanibel is like the place that my parents went to with my younger brother. <laughs> right. While the rest of us left the house, my younger brother got all these vacations, right? I came down in December of 1992. I met Tim. I said, this is amazing. It's going to be a great golf course. I had worked Arthur Hills had also done Tampa Palms. Sure. So I saw a lot of similarities there, and here I was. So my last semester at Lake City, I knew I was going to be coming here to Sanibel, the sanctuary. I came down as the assistant. And I've spent a little time away. I did a project in Fort Myers called Westminster in 1996 and 97. But I went back to the sanctuary as the golf superintendent in May of 1997. So I'm getting ready to celebrate my 27th year there at the sanctuary as a superintendent. Wow. That's it. And uh, yeah. That's a great run. That's a, yeah. You so beat that, me in my, my 25 years with GCSA. Yeah. When I say you said thir- 32 years as a member, I was like, I can't be that old. <laughs> but you are not the but, first one. But I guess to tell I, me I that. guess I must have joined. I joined probably the year before Lake City in that realm. But I did, and I did want to throw out that I did. I did go to Lake City with a lot of great guys, and there's a such a great group of superintendents down here in Southwest Florida from Lake City, from all over the world. Right. I mean, we have 140 golf courses yeah, here that is, yeah, between Lee and Collier number. County. So yeah, certainly glad to represent. Yeah, yeah, I get that a lot. And and the membership does carry over from your student days. So if you're a student member and then you, yeah. you become an assistant member and everything. So, well, two different stories to, to get to, to this place in time. With that kind of run, Kyle, I'm sure that Ian was not your the first storm that you had to deal with. What was your previous experience like in terms of of dealing with tropical weather, learning how to prepare a golf course, learning how to recover once a storm had passed? So interestingly, growing up in central Florida, I think we had some close calls in the 80s, probably the 70s and 80s, but I don't remember any big hurricane events. Certainly probably remembered those, but we did have a significant hurricane here in 2004 Hurricane Charlie. Okay, yeah. So Hurricane Charlie was a smaller storm than Ian, but it was Category 4, I believe, when it got to us. And what was interesting was one of the things we had always had at the club was a, was a pretty thorough plan to get ready in case. So Hurricane Charlie taught us some pretty interesting lessons with regards to preparation, what we needed to do, timing, as far as timing, not only to get the golf course ready, but if we, we have a staff of 20 to make sure that your people are actually being able to take care of themselves too. Sure. And you don't put them in a dangerous situation getting on and off the island because we got to cross, what is it, about three mile stretch the causeway, yeah. over the causeway, over the water. Hurricane Charlie was a huge preparation, a huge test to get ready for Hurricane Ian. And then the aftermath was similar but different. (laughs) Hurricane Charlie came through at a very fast speed. Another, and it it traveled so fast that it actually made a turn and it came into Southwest Florida kind of last minute. It was moving quite fast. However, Hurricane Ian was moving quite slow. Yeah. And it packed a big wallop, not only with the wind, but with the storm surge. And anybody from a resident to us as employees of our employers would say that the surge made all the difference in the world to 
what the aftermath was right with the, the the result of the damage and then the recovery after the fact so the fact that salt water came and how much did you how much water do you have in your place here uh, we're about six feet inside six the foot. building so everything that we're looking at out here in roy's beautiful growing going on was underwater except probably tips of the greens tops of the bunkers what right. have you right. my place probably 75 percent of it was underwater but whether you're six feet or six inches you're still under salt water sure some of the big things that we really we really knew to do was to of course clear the golf course of anything that was going to blow away right as well as make arrangements around the facility to move equipment in get rid of anything that could be flying away and i was thinking about that as i was over here now is what would we have done different as we prepared for the storm and the fact that we went through both hurricanes and I was able to go back to the shop and roll the doors up tells me that we really couldn't have done a whole lot different right to right. in both situations we had areas of the metal building that were blown through and blown out but at the same time the building stayed intact mm -hmm. and fortunately for me I'm at such an elevation that's the highest native elevation of the island I was actually able to open up my doors and get my equipment and go back to work. Unfortunately, not for, so much on for Roy, yeah. not <laughs> so much on his end because the elevation of this end of the island is quite low, i.e. the homes on stilts out here. Yeah. So for us, the big thing is all the preparation that goes into preparing the golf course and the facilities. And I'm talking about antennas off the club, talk with the top of the clubhouse for your irrigation system, sure. for your communication system. I'm talking about lightning detection system items. I'm talking about lake aerators, like aeration systems being removed from the golf course. All the waste baskets tipped over, at least if not brought in. Flag sticks, sure. of course, brought all the things, you know, things that you could leave T markers out there. They're probably not going to blow away. Cleaning the place and then getting everything together. And then I think a, a, the big deal for us on this time was getting all of our electronic equipment up on our desks. Yeah, getting yeah, things yeah. off the floor onto our desk, and in my situation, actually taking my computer home, bringing it. We're my home's on twelve foot stilts here on the island, so bringing my whole, bringing my basically my tower yeah. home and putting it somewhere where, just in case. And we did those things, and a lot of us as managers did those things. And at the end of the day, we had something to grab hold of when we got back. Now, we didn't have power for two and a half months, yeah. so we couldn't use some of those things. But, but at the same time, we took a lot of steps to prepare. And, there, and there's a lot of hurricane preparedness programs that I'm sure people would be able to share up and down the Gulf Coast. Yeah. And even yeah. on the East Coast. Yeah, and, and I mean, we've written about that in GCM before, and, and I've had the opportunity to talk to other guys. And there's a very, very fairly similar game plan. Roy, I'm assuming that as you prepared for this, clearly the UK does, gets its fair share of nasty weather. It's different, yeah. obviously, than, than what you experienced. You've, you've been here a while. Did you feel like you had prepared yourself, your crew, your golf course um, as best you could for, for Ian? Yeah, so I didn't go through Charlie on Sanibel. I was up in Northport, so we really didn't suffer much damage north with Charlie. But we went through Irma in 2017, which wasn't really much. We had a few trees down. We lost power for a few days. It wasn't a big deal. But part of that was realizing that you need certain items to come through, the, come through afterwards. So generators, chainsaws, stuff like that, two-cycle stuff that you're going to need to help clean up utility vehicles, all that stuff. When we first saw that Ian was potentially going to make an impact on Southwest Florida, 
we got together with staff we started executing our plan just like kyle everything that was loose and not tied down was brought in all the pool furniture was put away in the pool bathrooms all the patio furniture everything was brought in every piece of equipment was fueled up checked made sure it was in running condition generators made ready to go and pumps and they were all staged at the front of the building so they'd be the first thing to get out and get going chainsaws they were stacked on shelves we thought we were doing good and i actually we set it up so that on the, all the staff was gone on the Tuesday before the storm hit was Wednesday afternoon, midday Wednesday. So there was no staff in here on Tuesday, but I did actually come in on a Tuesday morning because Monday night I'm like, ah, gosh, I forgot to pick my computer up on the floor because it sits on the floor under my desk. And I was like, all right. So I came on island and I just took a troll around, made sure everything was good. We duct taped all the satellite boxes up best we could. Antenna was down just like Kyle. I go in my office, I unplug the computer, sit on top of my desk. I'm like, oh, I must remember to back up the irrigation computer. So I got the backup, put the USB, sat it on my desk next to my computer, lock the door, go home. And so obviously when I came back in, we didn't really know what was going on until we walked in. There had been a few people that had come and landed, and we'd actually had one employee that, that stayed on island during the storm, and she came out the next day and said it, everything's destroyed, blah, blah, blah. And we're like, yeah, okay, can't be that bad. <laughs> but then we started seeing some of the news pictures, like the causeway was gone. And we're like, oh, maybe this was a bit more significant. I live as a crow flies six miles inland and we got six foot of storm surge. I lost both my cars. Luckily we're on the second floor of an apartment building. So our apartment didn't get bothered, but there was four to five feet in the apartments below. So that's when it all started to sink in, I'm like, and I'm starting to think to myself, I hope my stuff in my office is okay so we can get going, get chopped. Right. We knew there'd be trees down. We saw the pictures. And then when, when we finally got back on island and we went to get to the maintenance facility, I'm like, it's all gone. Everything was gone. We looked at the equipment. Evening, it was, we were like seven or eight days after the storm before we came back on the island. The vehicles that we left with batteries connected, the terminals were already rusting off. Wow. And we're just like... And we've been lucky enough where our owners have helped us get into a lease program with our equipment. All leased equipment, it's all the latest gen, the 3320 hybrid, triplexes from Toro. Anything that was electronic was trashed. Wow. I know that the superintendent over at the other golf course uh, on the island, his mechanic worked wonders over there, but they had some older equipment that wasn't as computer-based as this modern stuff. Yeah. And they got their stuff running and we're sat here going, I got nothing. <laughs> I literally had two weed eaters and a stick edger or something left over that's all that was left everything was gone we tried we took the chainsaws apart soaked the heads down in wd-40 and, and tried to get in there's just nothing was going to work and then that was the biggest lesson i've learned it's just you cannot prepare for what mother nature you can do what you think is right but beyond picking up everything that you have at the shop and moving it to high ground you, we didn't expect six eight feet of water in our shop nobody i don't think anybody did really no. no, the surge was something that we hadn't dealt with before. And people on the island, we didn't give it proper credit. No. And you'll, as I'm a self-professed weather geek, I've, I'm always interested in that stuff. And when storms are coming, I'm paying attention. And you're watching the like the, some of the computerized graphics, like the Weather Channel will show. And they'll, but it makes sense. They'll yeah. have a guy, oh, I'm a six-foot guy. Look, here's what the surge would look like in this neighborhood. And here's 10 feet. And here's 14 feet. And obviously, it illustrates how powerful it can be. And they always say that water is, is just such a powerful thing in, in storms like that. It, Kyle, did you stay on the island during the storm? Uh, yes, actually. we. So we were going to stay at our home, 
and we had a small generator, but it wasn't going to be really enough to be power the home at all. We had an opportunity to stay at one of our members' homes out near the club. And the person had called me and said, hey, if you're there, that's great because you can actually help me understand what's going on in my home. At 1.30 in the morning, my wife decides to make the decision, oh, yeah, we should go. (laughs) (laughs) So we wake up, so we pack up, and we pack up a couple pairs of shorts, shoes, just like almost like an overnight bag. And so we drive over there. And interestingly, by that time, the wind was already blowing. Mm -hmm. It was already raining. Uh, This is Tuesday Tuesday night. night. Yeah. And on the way there, I'm, I go headlight to headlight with a truck coming to me right with a big tree laying in the middle of the road, right outside of wow. where the home is that we were going to stay at, which is right next to the golf course. So fortunately, my guy, John, that runs mm-hmm. Great White, we get out, we move this tree. I don't think either one of us could have done it by ourselves, but we did it together. So we move this tree at 1.30 in the morning. We get to the place. We settle in. Everything's everything's fine. We're getting ready. And we go to bed that night. Of course, we get up the next morning and it's inclement weather for starters. But we stayed there because he had a full generator. So as soon as the power went out, which it didn't take too long, we had full power. We had TV. We could we had everything, gas, cooking and everything. So we actually had it quite nice, despite the storm bearing on us for the storm. But I wouldn't have changed a thing in the fact that we stayed there. Because once the storm was over, I was able to walk out and literally walk half a mile down the road to my maintenance facility and had golf carts, loader, tractor, all the other things to get going for the community at the club. Sure, yeah. Start clearing the roads. And we cleared part of Sandcap Road, which is a main road going from the south end of the island to the north end of the island with a loader. Me and a pack of guys with carts and chainsaws, members, members of the club and just community members. If I would have been at my home, all of our cars got destroyed, of course, but I would have been sitting there wondering what to do. I wouldn't have had any way to get anywhere. Yeah. So fortunately at the club, I was able to be there and, and, you know, my wife says, happens again, we're leaving. And I said, I'm probably going to stay at the club, (laughs) but, but it was, I'm glad that we stayed there. And I'm glad that we stayed there also for the experience of it all. And I didn't, and I didn't, I wouldn't put my family in harm's way at all. And we weren't in harm's way because we were just, it was like opening the doors to a different world once we yeah. left the home. The homes, a lot of the homes that were built here on Sanibel, the newer construction, and, and Roy can uh, attest is uh, most of them did fantastic mm-hmm. despite the wind and the surge. Older homes that weren't built to certain specifications didn't do so well. The home that I was in, other than the exterior ceiling fans getting pretty much blown off the ceilings, you, you pressure washing, you would never know that yeah. the st- home went through a storm. Yeah, I took a dri- I got here a little bit early and took a drive around the community yeah. and was surprised at the number of, obviously, lots of new roofs. Yep. You can see that. Lots of construction still going on to some of them. But there's. I was surprised there was as many homes and people looking like they've, they've taken up residence once again yeah. here on the island. There's a handful throughout here that clearly have, people have had to have had to either abandon or just haven't had the resources to to rebuild. When did you, Kyle, know that the, when did you learn that the the causeway had been damaged to the point that was not a way on or off the island? So we had power, despite everything. Yeah. And we had satellite TV. 
So we, we turned, like the night of the day of the storm of the wind was coming through, it lasted all day. It just blew and blew. And I was like, this is not good. And of mm-hmm. course there was surge water downstairs yeah. and everything going. So that night it was just like, look, there's nothing we can do. We can't. So we just went to bed and the wind was blowing. We just went to bed. We got up the next morning and turned on the TV and here they were. Like there was three, was it three breaches, I believe, in the yeah, causeway? Yeah. yeah, And at that point in time, they're saying it could be months yeah. before the access was available to the island. So here we are thinking, oh no, what are we going to do? And then all these ideas start running through your head about people. There are talking about people, emergency services having to barge over. And yeah. if you're on the island, what are you going to do? You can't get out. And... So rule number one was like, okay, everybody needs to be safe. We just need to be very careful what we're doing here. (laughs) And then just have a discussion about what the reality was going to be for us now there. And and it it seemed we had a lot to take care of here. I still had to come down to this end of the island to our home and see what was going on there. So I was concerned about a lot of home-based stuff before I was worried about the causeway. Um, But um, yeah, it was scary to think that we were landlocked on the island. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I find it interesting. You said to be basically you open your doors to a whole new world. And I'm sure that's yeah. what it was. I'm going to, we're going to take a quick break here, pay some bills, and then we will come back with more with Kyle Sweet and Roy Jones. We'll get back to this episode in a minute, but now a word from Enview, which is committed to working with golf course superintendents to accomplish great things on the course every day. The company has the expertise and innovative solutions to help you navigate turf challenges year-round while keeping your course playable and beautiful. If you have a Poa Anoa infestation in warm season turf, you might be tempted to apply herbicides as soon as fall begins, but the species has a wide germination window, so you can get better results if you wait until later in the season. And if you follow the Pre-3 program from Enview, you'll control Poa seedlings, plus prevent germination of seeds that haven't emerged yet. You'll also see control of late germinating winter annual broadleaf weeds like henbit and chickweed. As a bonus, tank mixing these products delivers built-in resistance control from multiple modes of action, it's easier to schedule things to less activity on the course, and the strategy gives more flexibility around fall tropical storms. Greens and fairways often take center stage, but the rest of the grounds also need your attention to stay beautifully weed-free. For weeds in non-turf areas, applying a pre-emergence herbicide in the fall is the best way to reduce winter weeds. Spectacle Flow and Spectacle G offer multiple benefits beyond broad-spectrum, long-lasting control. They can be used in a wide range of planted and mulched areas, and the non-staining formula is safe for pavers and sidewalks. Spectacle Flow is ideal for mulched areas. Plus, it can be tank-mixed with non-selective herbicides to clean up existing weeds. Spectacle G has a low use rate that's perfect for low-growing or dormant ornamentals. No matter which you use, you'll see up to six months of control for cost and labor savings. Plan to stock up and save on these products and many more for 2024 through the newly improved My Enview Rewards program. From October 1st through December 4th, Enview is running its Fall Solutions program for members. You'll get great deals on a wide variety of the turf products that keep your course thriving all season long. Log in or join to start saving today at rewards.enview.us. 
to learn more about the agronomic solutions that can help you keep troublesome weeds out of your turf, contact your Enview representative or go to us.enview.com golf. Always read and follow label instructions and remember that not all products are registered for use in all states. Once again, our thanks to everyone at Enview for their support of the GCSA podcast. And now let's get back to this episode. All right, we're back with Kyle Sweet and Roy Jones. We're talking about their experiences uh, here on Sanibel Island uh, with Hurricane Ian. So uh, before the break, you guys, we were, were talking about some preparations, where you were when, when the storm hit. Kyle, what were you, first impressions when, when you got, uh, we'll start on the golf course. You talked a little bit about your personal home on the island as well. But when you saw it, how did it compare to maybe some of the other storm uh, damage that you had seen? And did you... Was it something you're like, this is unlike anything I've seen before? What was your initial reaction? The wind damage from Hurricane Charlie, I thought it looked it looked very similar. In other words, when you drove when you drove by like an access path that would go to a golf hole, it was just branches everywhere. You just couldn't even see to get through there. You obviously had to plow your way through. What was different was. Like they were dead fish in the bunkers. <laughs> Literally, the bunkers were strewn with dead fish. Wow. Uh, the soft path areas, we have quite a bit of a screening soft path, cart path. In some areas, there were three to four foot gullies that went for 100, maybe 200 feet where the water came in and then the water had to find a way out. So when it did, it took everything with it. And our soils here on the island are very sandy, mm-hmm. full of seashells and the soils will migrate really easily. They're relatively loose. So when I saw some of that and I realized the whole cart paths had sunk because water had come over the top of them and then eroded underneath them, and you just got a whole different perspective on the damage. Chainsaws and chippers were normal, but the other was not normal. Immediately, a lot of my first communications to the club well, first of all, we, we had very limited cell phone coverage out here. Yeah. We had to climb on top of the clubhouse. We were here for five days, basically. I was on the I was at the club for five days before any other people were there. But we had to climb on top of the clubhouse. Fortunately, we broke our broke in. Yeah. That's and, right. <laughs> yeah we broke into the clubhouse, and we climbed on top of the clubhouse, and that's where we got cell signal. This evening, as the anniversary of the storm, I have several friends on the island that are going to be like, remember us on top of the clubhouse at the sanctuary? It was great. But we went on top of the clubhouse and then we could get texts out, some phone, some voice calls. But my immediate communication was like, look, we have a significant amount of damage and erosion around the edges of the golf course where the water came on and then the water left. And when it left or the wave action hit some sides, Hmm that it, it created a lot of damage. We have a lot of irrigation lines exposed. We have irrigation heads strewn across the edge of the golf course that have to be. So just the magnitude of that was pretty impactful right away. And then the, you want to call it the slime? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so with the surge came a high amount of fines that were collected, I guess, as the storm surge came across the island. Roy probably had it worse than I did, but in areas like on my south end of the golf course where we got significant surge and the slime, this really slippery, mm-hmm. slimy clay 
Yeah. Not what we're used to. Yeah. We're a sand-based environment here. But the slime, I'll just call it, it stuck to everything just was well. everywhere. Yeah. And, oh. it, and it coated the grass, it coated the soil. So when you got out and you looked at it, you're like, well, that's totally different. And that's not something we'd ever dealt with before yeah. either. And it was on the roads, it was on the fairways, it was on, I've got photos of it all along the edge of my 12th green. It almost looks like a white algae, basically. Wow. And I'm like, oh, how are we going to get rid of that? This yeah. is, I don't see this in any textbooks, <laughs> but... But I think that was the thing was is I had to notify my guys that we're dealing with something here that we had we haven't dealt with before. Yeah. And um, you know, looking back, we we knew what to do to remediate it or to fix yep. it or to get it under control. It was just a whole different layer versus yeah. what we'd had in the past. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Roy, you were off the island. When were you able first able to get back? How did you get back? I'm assuming by boat, but yeah. Um, when you, how long did that take? And it, were you ready well, just to turn around and go back? Yeah. <laughs> once you got here, um, so we, I think the owners had actually had somebody from either from their insurance company or, or one of the owners that had somebody helicopter in because they have multiple properties on the island, and so they gave us a rough idea. So then. About five days after the storm, uh, I'd already had power back at the apartment, and so had most of the people that lived in that area. So my general manager, myself, the head pro, and a couple of the uh, key players here at the golf course, we all got on a Zoom call. We tried to figure out how to get back on the island. Now, luckily, we just hired a guy who had a boat. The golf pro called him up and said, hey, can we use your boat and get across the island? We got that figured out. A week, exactly a week after the storm hit, we took off from, from Iona, just across the river, or across the, the, the bay there from the island, um, and came over on a boat. There was 12 of us, I believe, the first day. Uh, we came in, and we tied up about a half a mile away from here, um, and we had to walk from there uh, to the golf course. The first thing that struck me when you get, beyond looking at the devastation, was it was eerily quiet. There was no bird sound. There was no, you couldn't hear, there's no generators, no chainsaws. No, it was just so quiet. And this is a week post-storm. Wow. So we come, we had to walk about a half a mile. We come down the road and then there's a cut through just behind the clubhouse over there. And as we come through the cut through and we get our first glimpse of the golf course. And I, I it reminded me of, what's the movie? Full Metal Jacket. When they're going, when they're going through and they're in Vietnam and you see the bombed out buildings and you see the palm trees with it there. That thing was filmed in England, strangely yeah. enough. <laughs> you see the bombed out buildings and stuff. And I was like, that's it. This just looks like a war zone. Broken trees. Everything was brown. And I was just like, and this is just crazy. And I was in shock. Honestly, I'd seen the TV pictures and you see the cameras that go over the island and you're like, mm. oh, okay. But when, until you actually get down there and you're physically on the ground and you experience what is there, I'm just like, I, I was just still lost for words. Like Kyle, but there was dead fish everywhere and we had dead pelicans, dead turtles all over the place. A lot of dead birds, yeah. a lot of birds lot too that really. probably were just hung up in the wind. Yes. Yeah. Uh, several yeah. dead birds. And then we can walk in through here. In the middle of the putting green, which is right there, was a brand new golf hat from Sanibel Island Golf Club, which is the other golf club, which is what three quarters of a mile directly away from us, at least. And wow. it was a still with the price tag on it, was sitting right in the middle of the putting green. Wow! And we're just like, that's not to tell of the other thing that was on one of the greens that we found. But similar to Kyle, we come in here and the whole place was brown, with the exception of the highest elevations of the course, which there isn't many on this course. 
but you could see it was just bright green amongst a sea of brown. We had one spot over on number one, right next to the green, there was like a foot high of green grass and, and everything else was brown. There was debris everywhere. And there was a propane tank, a, like a hundred gallon propane tank that floated from somebody's house and was sat on one green. Yeah. And it, it was just, yeah, even now I don't, I'm just like, ugh, I try and forget about it. Yeah. I, I see it all so much now. Well, did you take a lot of photos? I did, but I, I, mean, I stopped taking them. you don't want them. to look at them right No, I don't. <laughs> I, I'm just, I, yeah. when I'm going back through my photos, my wife said, hey, have you got a photograph this day? And I'm going, and I start seeing the hurricane ones. I'm just like, no, I don't. Because, and it, it was depressing that the devastation was so total that he, I couldn't initially wrap my head around what we were going to do. Um, luckily, that first trip out was only a couple hours, and we were only out here for a few hours, and, and it was just game planning on what was going on. We, we took a look at maintenance, and we brought the mechanic out with us, and I was just like, and she's, I don't know what to do with all this stuff. Yeah. And tools, everything, was, and the whole place was just trashed. In fact, we lost one of the sidewalls of the building was in the mangroves at the back. The garage door was inside the building rather than in front of the building. We had a big oak tree that, that covered our fuel ta- fuel tank area. That was down in the middle of the uh, in the middle of the wash pad, and it was just like we don't know what to do. We took a walk around a golf course. Actually, picked up some abandoned bikes and rode around a golf course. <laughs> plenty of abandoned bikes out here, and just it one. I got told at one point a few weeks later that I was being very negative about it, but I was just like. I don't know where to start. Yeah, and that that was the problem. It was just not knowing where to go. It seems to, that seems natural, though, that just to, the overwhelming nature of how do you tackle something that significant, that large? How do you? Right. And I'm sure at some point you developed, hey, we'll have small victories along the way. We'll celebrate those. We'll we'll have some goals. But um, uh, how did you? So your course, Roy, did not, you ultimately made the decision that we're going to redo the golf course um, yeah. as a result of the storm or just as uh, something that needed to be done. I think you said the last time it had been redone was in the 90s. Yeah, um, there'd been talk for a while about doing some renovations. We, we regressed the greens in 2016, but these greens are now almost 30-year-old USGA greens. And so we'd been talking about potentially redoing the greens in a couple of years, upgrading the irrigation system. We were still old hydraulic irrigation out here. Pump station needed to be redone. So there was a lot that was on the menu to be done in the next few years. So this kind of accelerated the program. But when we started to really get down to it and talk about it, we we were kind of isolated in our thinking about the golf course, not realizing the owners also have four hotels, two strip malls, and out of the mall off the island. So they had much bigger things going on. Sure. And because we, I'm here spending everybody's money. I'm just like, I'm going to buy this, we're going to buy this. We ordered a million dollars worth of equipment, blah, blah, blah. And, and then suddenly realizing that maybe not all of that's going to happen. So the, decision, the original decision was we were just going to try and grow in what was here. We managed to keep the greens alive. Surprisingly enough, Tiff Eagle will survive inundation by salt water. Mm. We were out here with water tankers. We were hand watering the greens every day with fresh water from, we had a one hose pipe that worked. So we'd go around and we're just hand watering the greens, keeping those alive. Everything else we were like, you know what? It's Bermuda, it'll come back. Not a big deal. What it was going to be like when it came back was a different story. Because initially we walk out there and I'm like, hey, you know what? Salt water makes a really good weed killer because all the crabgrass <laughs> around was dead. I'm like, this is really good. If I can get the Bermuda grass to come back before the weeds start regrowing, I'll be in good shape. Yeah. But our biggest issue was water. We're 100% effluent. 
and my pump station was down. It had been, been totally trashed. And obviously the city's not sending any effluent water out, no pump station to pump. That's when, us, that's when we kind of, we paused for a couple of months, kept the greens going. And then the decision eventually came down, let's go ahead and regrass. Let, let's fix the irrigation system, do it correctly. And let's regrass and let's go with something that can handle the salt conditions and hence the past ballum. But yeah, it, it was just like, that that was driven by the water issue the, more than anything the, the past month. Our lakes here, we're one year post-storm. These lakes are still almost 23, 24,000 parts per million sodium. Wow. So it's still almost seawater. FGCU, the local university, they've been doing the studies on these lakes. They're telling me a couple of years before they're back to normal. And normal's briny for us anyway. Sure. Wow. It, That's... Yeah. <laughs> Kyle, did you ever face any questions like that? Was it just a matter of, we, we, we're going to be able to clean up, just it's going to be a matter of how long it's, it's going to take? Yeah, so we, we converted from Bermuda to Seashore Pass Palm in 2005. And we knew that it would be a really good grass in a situation of inundation. And I can tell you that after the storm, we were the greenest thing on the island. So it handled it very well. What was interesting is after the storm, everything that was had gotten inundated with water was really good. But we had, like I said earlier, we probably only had about three quarters of our course go underwater. The areas that weren't just got extremely dry really quick yeah. because it got hot. It rained about a week after the storm. It rained yeah. for a couple of days. And then we went through a very dry period. We were only at 14 inches of rain for the entire year, just up to a few weeks ago. Wow. So we've been through it. Following the storm, we went through a, a, a long drought here in Southwest Florida. But no, there were no questions after the storm whether or not we were going to be able to come back. As a matter of fact, we were able to reopen the golf course on January 3rd. Wow. So the storm came in September 28th on January the 3rd. We opened. Now, we opened with probably, I would say, three to four acres of not acceptable turf. <laughs> <laughs> or I don't even know how to call it turf at that point in time. But I said to them, I'm like, look, we can open. And you're going to have to understand that we're not opening to the standards that we normally have. Yeah. But I'll give you good greens. I'll give you good tees. I'll give you decent fairways and the roughs, all bets are off. Yeah. Because in those areas, a lot of those areas struggled more than others. But so we just knew that we were going to have to make it through the season last year, which, and Roy went through this too. See, his, Roy's play re revolves around visitors as well as members here in the community. My play revolves around members. Yeah. And a lot of the members' homes many of the members' homes were impacted greatly on the beach mm -hmm. and on Captiva, which is an island just north of us, as well as in our sanctuary community. Mm -hmm. So we probably had, I'm going to say, 30 to 40% of our normal membership even around. So a busy day for us last season was 50 to 60 rounds of golf. That was a, that was a busy day. Very few tournaments, if anything, and I think two events a whole, whole year. So we opened and said, we want to give you a golf course. And then knowing that this summer was going to be critical for us to go in and really get things fixed. Yeah. The club, um, our club ended up investing quite a bit into the golf shop, rehabbing, you know, getting a whole new cart fleet, a lot of uh, other items beyond 
you know, golf maintenance. I did not have to replace equipment. You can see the water line on the tires and the equipment in our facility. Literally now, you'll see a whole lot of pieces of equipment running around that are ha- the rims are half rusted. Yeah. Because right where the water was is an ex- perfect rust line. But the but I did not have it nearly as bad as Roy, and or the folks over at Sanibel Island Golf Club. So I, I feel very fortunate for that. So for us, it wasn't really a question of. We didn't have to make that choice. We didn't have to make the same choice they had to make. And and Roy and I were conversing the whole time. What's going on there? What's going on here? And I felt for them hard because, like I said, we live right over there. And I knew that the the impact was much stronger here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How did the community of superintendents, the golf community here on the island come together afterwards? I know you all had your own issues to deal with, but I'm sure that kind of support was just – and I probably – I imagine it ranged from, yeah, you can borrow this piece of equipment or, oh, yeah, why don't you just yell at me for about 30, 20 minutes to get it off your chest, <laughs> that that kind of stuff. How big a deal was that to, to get through what you guys were experiencing? I'll take the credit and I'm trying. <laughs> no, what I tried to do was like we're all struggling in our own way and we're all struggling in our own way because it really felt like you're and it still feels like that now. Even you're really trying to reestablish what you had. You're trying to get back to that point so I reached out to these guys I'm like look we need to go out and and have dinner and have a couple of drinks and just lay it out there mm-hmm. I kept on bugging these guys and finally we have gotten together on a couple of occasions on the island David Foster who's the superintendent at South Seas Plantation which is on Captiva which is at the what we call Land's End the very mm-hmm. northern point David's actually rebuilding their facility at the moment and South Seas is making huge investments mm-hmm. into their into that resort and David's not here to speak. I wish he was. But we've reached out to David. We haven't been able to bring him in yet. Yeah. But myself and Roy and Chad Kithcart at Sanibel Island Golf Club, we've gotten together and had dinner on a couple of occasions. Yep. And just talked about what we're going through and who needs what, where, when. And and we've I've borrowed equipment from them and they're borrowing equipment from us. And if nothing else, like you said, just venting, calling, texting yeah. Whatever it yeah. would be, just to go through. Hey, did you hear this? Or you, can you believe this? Or I heard this about you. Or yeah. I heard this about that. Or my members are there, and one of my residents was playing your place, or whatever the case would be. I heard this rumor, Roy, but we're all making progress. Right. Now uh, we're all making progress, and I think that's good for our soul right at the yeah. moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's been just like Kyle said. The three of us. It's a shame David never joined in with that. But it, those vent sessions incredibly useful because this the stress that we've had to deal with going through this it, it's been we have stressful jobs anyway that by nature this job's stressful you're dealing with mother nature all day long but on top of it with, with what we were going through just a chance to vent and get it all off your chest with people that know what you're going through people that can understand what you're dealing with and i've had help along along with kyle and chad my old boss here mitch he was great he lent me his vehicle when both my cars would, were gone until I got new ones. And he was another shoulder for me just to go have a beer and say, oh my God, I'm just over this right now. And he had a bit of a yeah. calming voice, which was nice. Had quite a few calls from superintendents all around the state of Florida. People I'd never spoken to before. Wow. They're like, hey, I got your number from X vendor. Just want to reach out and say, hey, if you need anything, give us a shout. Obviously, it's difficult for us to try and get stuff from the other coast and bring it over sure. here. But the fact that they were offering help was significant. Probably one of the biggest helpers for me personally uh, here was been Wesco Turf, our, our local Toro vendor, and Scott Lavecchio. 
they've just been outstanding. From working with us, getting new equipment in, giving us loaner equipment, getting us a deal on a new irrigation system, just without a doubt, one of the best franchises and best salespeople I've ever worked with in my life. And it's that kind of thing. They were there. Scotty calls me like day one after the storm and like, what are you going to need? And he goes, we'll have it there as soon as we can get it there. So within, when did the bridge open? November 1, like end of October, early November, there was a truck waiting to bring some equipment over so we could at least start some semblance of yeah. maintenance on the golf course. And it, it was just never having gone through a natural disaster like this before the reach out from other people even on the pga side of it we had a lot of pga members calling our pros saying hey what do you need we're here for you just give us a shout let us know we'll do what we can and, and that was really good because sometimes you you get you feel a little isolated but once you got off the island yes there's damage especially fort myers beach but the rest of the most of the golf courses with the exception of a couple were, were back normal business for us yeah, yeah. And, and we get we felt a, i felt isolated a little bit over here and so the reach out from vendors and from other superintendents around around the state has been fantastic it really helped helped me feel that we could make it through this because there was points at the beginning that i was like man yeah and, and what made it even worse was the day before the storm the tuesday um, I received a, an offer of a, of a job up in Jacksonville. I had interviewed up in Jacksonville the weekend before the storm. They sent me an offer down, and I was just like, I, I called up the HR, and I was just like, <laughs> I'm like, on in good conscience, leave them. My owners have been good. The owners here at the Dunes have been really good to me through the years. Looking back, my wife yells at me all the time about yeah. it. And I've been told Roy, by Roy, plenty Roy. of people that I should have yeah. just moment, taken that your run. moment. Well. <laughs> But think of the memories. Think of the, and it's, <laughs> and I think I said to Kyle and Chad, I'm, I'm like, at the end of the day, if I can somehow drag this thing out and, and get it done and get it back into shape, one, it'll be a personal achievement for me, and and two, it it should help my career for it, mm-hmm. further down the road, if I make it through this far. Well, you brought still up got some, some ways to go yet. But. Yeah, you brought up something really important. I didn't bring that up earlier, and but. I had someone text me and say, hey, I've got food, water, and a boat. Yeah. And my response was, boat? <laughs> because I boated around the area for years, but I didn't have a, a boat yeah. at the moment. So I'm like, boat. So literally within 48 hours of the storm, I had a boat lined up. So I was boating from Cape Coral to Sanibel back and forth. If I wasn't staying on the island, I had a boat. I was bringing employees over. I was bringing vendors over. I was bringing electricians over to work on things. I was bringing my neighbors yeah. over yeah. to look at their homes for the first time. Yeah. And that was a vendor, TJ Shine. And he thought, and for him to give me that boat, was that was like my lifeline yeah. to be living on the island and then being able to go over and stay in George Bowling's place, yeah. tied up and... So we were bringing fuel over because there was nowhere to get fuel here on the island. So it was a lifeline. It was amazing to have that opportunity. So the outpouring of support that we got. It was phenomenal. It really was. was. huge. And then people were there to help. And then I think you learn to be very resourceful very quickly. And whether it's you in a situation where you didn't even have any equipment and you're figuring out at least making some decisions and reviewing and understanding what's going on. Or even with us having equipment, but not really having a lot of resource, not having the need to prepare for golfers, but how can we continue to get yeah. better every day 
so I can give them a season this season. Right. So I can, so you just figure out a way to be, but I don't think you can do that unless you're actually put in that situation because your brain's whatever. Yeah. It's normal. Right. These things are normal. And as soon as you say, you have no water, you have no power. Oh, by the way, you have 100 acres of, go- of grass. You go, what the, <laughs> yeah, what am I yeah. going to do? So you just become very resourceful very quick, and then you don't know really how you do it. It just happens. That's support you guys talk about. I mean, that, that's evident throughout the industry. There's right. the brotherhood, mm-hmm. sisterhood, as more and more women get into the business. But just the communal aspect of golf course management and, and the support that you get. I'm sure there are other industries where that's commonplace. In my industry, in journalism, maybe not so much. You develop your friendships and things with people that work at other other publications or whatnot. And you have good relationships. And I suppose in, in, in trying times, you are reaching out and, hey, just thinking about you, that, that kind of thing. But the kind of support you guys are talking about from vendors, from fellow superintendents, that that is that kind of makes us special and probably yeah. is a lifeline when you guys are struggling your most when you're in the middle of it here and that that kind of stuff can be pretty and pretty invaluable so that's great to hear listen we've taken up a lot of time i appreciate you guys doing this i want to end with maybe some let you some good news okay. roy what are you talking about what are you guys looking at here in terms of when you're going to be able to get this thing open the clubhouse Looks great, by the way. I'm, I feel bad that I'm in here before some of your members, but what are you looking at in terms of when you're going to be able to have people hitting so, shots out here? So we are, we're planning on opening uh, the first nine holes around the first week of December. Obviously, depending on how things go, they were the first ones grassed. We're, we're, we're pretty close on the front. The back's going to take a little longer. We've still got four holes to grass. They're, they're doing some final grading out there today. They're hoping to get... The last of the sod coming in early next week and then possibly sprigging the last four at the end of next week gives me three to four months to get him in shape to open the back nine, hopefully mid-January. With it being an El Nino year, a lot of that's up in the air right now. But as you can as you can see out the window, the stuff that's down and growing is doing pretty well. So that's the plan. Membership has been, we've worked reciprocals with, with a local club in town for the members. Tennis is back up and running. So the members have been in and out tennis. We have the pool open for the for members as well. We're getting close to having the, the clubhouse itself and restaurant open as soon as we get the landscaping hopefully done in the next 30 days out the front, at least to get some kind of normalcy back in, in our yeah. routines again and then like i said golf course as soon as it's available essentially it'll be getting open oh yeah and i'm sure you will have a, a full t-sheet once they're oh once yeah that, uh, once i'm that pretty hits. sure it's going to be busy yeah do you uh, kyle do you feel how close to normal do you feel right now a one year removed at the sanctuary i think i told someone this morning i had a visitor a member actually came to visit and went on the golf course with me i think we'll be about 90 percent I really do. And then that's because there's 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 quite a bit of landscaping work around the golf course that's still going to be waning. It's going to be something we're going to have to work on during the season, which is fine. But I think we're going to be about 90%. Turf-wise, we should be pretty solid. We hosted a Calusa event last week out there, and I wasn't happy with it, but it was close. Yeah. <laughs> we're expecting about 70% of our normal membership that's what our surveys and everything say. And we, we, we don't really do a lot of outside play, but we do some fundraising, event, community events for yeah. fundraising and things like that we do have on the docket this year. Last year, of course, we didn't. Right. So we're going to be pretty close to normal, mm-hmm. uh, pretty close to normal. And I'm just hoping for some really good weather 
as we push through this last month. October's summer here. Yeah. Don't let anybody fool you. No. Oh, it's summer. Florida, let me tell you. Summer. <laughs> I know you're sweating. I saw you sweating earlier. Oh, yeah. But it's we can grow some really good grass in October. Yes. And Roy, Roy's yeah. counting on that for the grow in. I'm counting on that to, to really finish to get ready for the season. But I'm, I think we're going to have a good season. I'm much happier today on this beautiful yes. day than I was September 28th a year ago. Yeah. And no, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a, a little bit of normalcy, which I think we need. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I'm super appreciative that you guys were willing to share your stories. It's, I'm sure it's something you'd rather not have gone through, and but it does certainly put you in a unique class of superintendents who've had to deal with this. And we didn't talk a ton about it, but I know you've got, there's personal things you have to ba- balance. In addition to that, you have staff members who have their own personal challenges who want to help you on the golf course, but maybe they've lost a home or they've lost vehicles like you both did and things like that. And it's hard for, again, yeah. we talked beforehand, I'm a Midwesterner by heart and have lived there my whole life. And so familiar with tornadoes and severe weather and those sorts of things, but those, and those can be totally devastating, but they're not just as widespread as this, where just for up and down the coast, there were folks that went through things that you guys went through. Hats off to you. I'm not wearing a hat right now, but I take it. All right, one fun stuff. We're going to finish off with some of our final shots. When you do have a chance to get away from the golf course, Roy, what's your favorite thing to do? Cycling. Okay, cycling. Cycling. Yeah, interestingly, I did a lot of cycling during COVID. Roy and I are sharing notes about cycling. (laughs) I'm probably not as strong as he is, but I love cycling, but we also love being on the water down here in South Florida. Yeah, absolutely. On the boat, on the boat. Yep. I just bought a new gravel bike, trying to nice. trying to get myself yeah. back into shape a little bit. Nice. So it's been... I, I finally rebuilt my road bike and got it out. I took my first ride out in a year last weekend. Yeah. And not too bad. Average 17 mile an hour over 25 oh, miles wasn't too good. bad. Yeah, Lord, not, not bad for a 50-some-year-old. So. Well, this guy's a machine. 17 <laughs> miles an hour? I'm doing like 13. I'm lucky. I'm Lord. in the middle. I'm about 15, but I, I think my bike is governed to 14.8 at the moment. So I'm trying to figure <laughs> that gonna, out. I'm going to use that. But <laughs> I, did 31, I did 31 miles on Sunday, so I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'll do 30 miles on Sundays. Yeah. And I try to do 20. I'm, I'm 70 miles a week right now. That's, that's good, yeah. So uh, so far, so good. But the island is a great place to bike. So oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, come to Sanibel and bike, yeah. everybody. Come There's to some and great bike. routes on this island to get. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, after driving some of the roads, I think you might want to bike. You might get around a little quicker on, on, yeah. on some yeah. of these. Yeah. We talked about this before, Roy. I was yeah. going to say college or pro football, where your loyalty is saying. But there's another kind of football that I think yep. you also are. Yep, are lifelong Sheffield Wednesday fan, for those that know. As far as American sports, I am a Chicago fan for my sins, both Cubs and Bears. So I'm having a bit of a tough time right now. Yeah, sorry about the Chiefs. On yeah, that was, that was, that was rough. Sunday. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough question for me because I'm really not a huge sports fan. I'll follow a good game. Yeah. As, as much as I, I don't want that to sound cheesy. Yeah. <laughs> but we always find something to do on Sundays. I was a huge NASCAR fan. A oh, good yeah. a good friend of mine, David Rudiman, raced for Waltrip for a number of years. And we grew up in little towns up for hills. So I spent a lot of time. So I would say as a sports fan, that was probably one of the – if you want to call it us, a, a motorsport, a sport. Yeah. But as far as as far as Sunday football, we're either on the boat or we're at the pool or you know, we're up. we're doing something out and about and enjoying this place. And you do. That's the beauty of living here is yeah. that you do get that opportunity to borderline year-round outdoor activities. Bucket list golf course that you want to play that you would just love to play, Kyle. I I would say Pebble Beach. Yeah. It's just so amazing looking and I, I i've had several people that i know that have played there that have just said it was they were just awestruck 
yeah. from the first moment. And I've got a lot of family in California. Uh, our family's ba- pretty much based in either New York or California. So uh, I'll make it out there one day. Yeah. How about uh, you, Roy? Mine's actually a little closer to my home. Uh, over, actually, where my parents live, I would love to play Royal Dornock. Okay. Never had the chance. I've, I lived 15 minutes from it, but never got the chance to play it. And it's just, it's a classic. Yeah. Old school. I, I've had, I've not been there. I've I had a chance to be at Pebble Beach a number of times, and it is spectacular. I've never been able to play. They've always tended to be the U.S. Opens or Women's Opens when I'm there. So you, you haven't qualified. They, you no, haven't qualified. No. <laughs> this close. Just so this close. close. So, so close. <laughs> and the last question, what are you doing if Jim Cantori from the Weather Channel shows oh, up on the island? <laughs> are, you, Man. are you pushing him back? Are you running? <laughs> that was funny enough. That was one of the, one of the rumors that when everybody goes, where's Jim Cantori? And as soon as the rumor came down that he's in Fort Myers, I'm like, ah, oh, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, he, if I hear he's back here again, I'm out. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm going to figure out a way to don like a Weather Channel jacket and yeah. just stand right there with him and just, <laughs> just take on the storm with Jim. That would be awesome. We've been watching him for, what, 30 years, oh, taking yeah. on storms out there. No, I'm right there with him. I'm, I'm talking about the golf course and what's going on. That's right. And, hey, you got a great view. Come and, on. Uh, yeah, maybe we're, maybe we're chipping and putting on the putting green, waiting for it to come in. But I would really look forward to meeting him. My father-in-law was actually a recent retired weatherman oh, really? bob mm. riggio okay in rapid city south dakota All right, shout yeah. out wow. to bob lifelong uh weather weatherman who recently retired for M- from an nbc affiliate up okay, there great and i hope that if it ever happens again i bob is here with me yeah and and he can experience a storm if it ever does happen yeah. again we'll have him come down i had one day leaving at gcsa headquarters in lawrence so it was severe weather in the forecast I dilly-dallied around, and suddenly I was looking at the skies, and you guys know how that is, and you're like, oh, I may have waited too long, and I pulled onto the highway leaving Lawrence, and right in front of me was one of these storm-chasing tank kind of things that uh, Reed Timber and his crew, it's literally right in front of me. I have photos on my phone of this thing, and I called my wife, and I said, we might want to batten down the hatches, and and so I just high-tailed it out of there, because I'm like, if that guy's driving where I am. I'm in the wrong place. But again, guys, thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. really enjoyed the conversation. I think the, the listeners will too. Best of luck with everything down here, driving around. It's nice to see things coming back. I was, yeah. again, as I told you, Roy, Kyle, before we started, I was a little taken back by how much I could still see from a, a year ago, but you guys are on the road to recovery. There are a lot of people pulling for you. And, um, We'll hope that all these, uh, the rest of the hurricane season just steers different. They can keep yeah. going out to sea like they've been doing the yeah. last two or three weeks. So, uh, Roy Jones, Kyle Sweet, thank you so much. Uh, appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate it. Well, that does it for episode 56 of the GCSAA podcast. A very big thank you to both Roy Jones and Kyle Sweet for their willingness to share their stories and relive some honestly painful memories from Hurricane Ian and for being such awesome hosts during my day on Sanibel. It was an eye-opening visit for a lot of reasons, and I appreciate both of them being so open about what they went through last September and the fits and starts they've experienced on the long road to recovery there on Sanibel Island. 
As always, lots on the to-do list when it comes to future episodes of the GCSA podcast, including plans for some live recordings of this and other superintendent-hosted podcasts on the GCSA podcast stage during the GCSA conference and trade show in Phoenix in January. For now, though, we'll say goodbye with a thank you to our podcast editor, Evan Shapiro. To the folks at Enview for their ongoing sponsorship of the podcast, to the GCSA Board of Directors and all my coworkers at Association Headquarters in Lawrence, Kansas, and of course, my thanks to each of you for subscribing, downloading, and listening. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll catch up again soon on the next episode of the GCSAA Podcast.